Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 29. This, as always, is the un-undisputed. Everything I cannot share with you during a go-for-the-throat two-and-a-half-hour debate show known as Undisputed. Today, I will tell you why Kyler Murray should have played baseball. And I will tell you why, more than ever, I am shook and I am shocked by another quarterback I used to love named Deshaun Watson. And I'll also tell you why I am dying over live golf. I'll also get to a number of your questions, your great questions, your piercing, insightful questions about undisputed behind the scenes, and also about my friend LeBron James. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I am about to explain to you why Kyler Murray missed his calling, why he should have accepted the Oakland A's offer to play baseball after A's GM Billy Bean, friend of mine, drafted Kyler Murray with the ninth overall pick in the first round of the 2018 MLB draft. Now, obviously, much, much, much has been made of the homework clause that the Arizona Cardinals insisted on adding to the contract, the $230.5 million contract, including $160 million guaranteed, that Kyler was about to sign. That addendum even included specific language saying that Kyler had to dedicate at least four extra hours a week to football study, to game tape study, during which he could not play video games. Aha! Specific language against video games. 
Kyler did sign that contract, so he accepted the homework clause. Then he told the media in an 11-minute salvo without taking questions that it was disrespectful to the point of laughable that anyone would think that he doesn't study game tape. Um, Kyler, you signed the contract that will force you to study. That's a clause that no quarterback, heck, no player in the history of the National Football League has ever had in his contract. Completely unprecedented, unbelievably unprecedented. Yet the negative fallout got so bad that the Cardinals finally announced that they were rescinding, they were eliminating that homework clause. But obviously, the damage had been done. And frankly, if you want to know the truth, the Cardinals' message had been sent very loudly, painfully, clearly to Kyler that the team needs more film study from him and less video game playing. Now, for a story told to me by my brother, Lil Wayne, who did hear this story from an Arizona Cardinals beat reporter. And I'll be the first to tell you up front, maybe some of this story got lost in translation. Maybe it's a little bit exaggerated here and there. Maybe it's slightly apocryphal. But I do believe the gist of this story is true. And the gist is that Kyler Murray is addicted to playing video games in large part because he's really good at playing video games. The story goes that a birthday party was thrown for Kyler at his house. And by the way, his birthday is this Sunday, August the 7th. Not sure if this was a year ago or two years ago. But with a house full of people there to celebrate his birthday, Kyler mostly stayed in his bedroom playing video games. Maybe it's a video game room. I'm not sure if it's the bedroom exactly, but in his video game room. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe he had some personal battles set up with his video game arch rivals that he just had to attend to. I don't know, but the story goes that the family and friends actually had to sing happy birthday to him through the door while he was playing the video games. And that family and friends had to leave a big plate of food for him outside the door through which he was playing the video games. Again, is that exactly how it came down? I, I'm not exactly sure, but the point is this is why very specific language, excuse me, language was included in that homework clause, preventing him from playing video games while he studied the extra four hours of football tape. Kyler is a gamer, and that's obviously on the field and in his video game room. And the positive here for me is that 
I believe that playing video games at the level he plays them, which is an extremely high level, actually helps sharpen his focus for football. It helps sharpen his anticipation with which he plays the position of quarterback. And, and please make no mistake about this. Kyler Murray has a great football mind. That mind that helps him see things before they develop. He has that, that genius level anticipation on the football field. He's talked about it. Maybe he leans on it a little too heavily, but he has the gift. This kid is special mentally as well as physically. And by the way, physically, big, accurate arm, electric feet. Maybe he's quicker than he's faster, but just flat out electric, almost like cartoon feet. And Brady-esque anticipation, seeing it, feeling it before it happens. And that's all packed into a what was measured at the combine, five foot, 10 inch and one eighth frame that also packs on 207 pounds. So Kyler is put together. He has some stoutness to that short little body of his, five, 10 and an eighth inch. The, the point again here is to me, and I'm a big fan, have been since, heck, since he was playing high school football in Texas when he never lost a game in three years as a starter, won three straight state championships at the highest level of Texas state football. Kyler Murray has the tools and the brains to win a Super Bowl. And by the way, he did win Heisman at the school I root for, the University of Oklahoma, while shattering all of Baker Mayfield's records set just the year before. Kyler was drafted number one overall by the Arizona Cardinals, and he did win Offensive Rookie of the Year while completing 64% of his passes. And he did make a Pro Bowl in his second year while completing 67% of his passes. And he did make yet another Pro Bowl <clears throat> this last football season, his second, while completing 69% of his passes. 64, 67, 69. I'd say that's progress last two years, Pro Football Focus graded Kyler Murray the 12th best quarterback in the league, and then last year, the 7th best quarterback in the league. That's pretty great. So, question, why did Arizona start out 5-2 and two, two years ago, talk of the league, the Hale Murray, you remember against Buffalo. And why did that team then finish eight and eight for the season? And then why last year did Arizona blazing hot start off 10 and two, 10 and two, but then lose five of its last six, including getting blown off the field in that playoff game, Kyler's first by the rival Rams. Hmm. Kyler got banged up and Kyler struggled. And when Kyler struggles, 
his body language goes from bad to worse. And when that happens, Kyler begins to distance himself even more from his teammates, even more than usual. Unfortunately, Kyler Murray is a natural-born solo act. Yet he's playing the premier leadership position in all of sports. Quarterback. Kyler Murray is more of an introverted loner who's far happier escaping into his video games than, say, hanging with the fellows in the locker room or certainly speaking to the media. Kyler, the face of that franchise, $230 million worth, is flat out terrible when it comes to media relations. He does not like, he does not trust the media, and more and more the media, from what I'm told, doesn't really care for Kyler because he's often late to their sessions. And when he does speak, he offers up very, very little. And to me, for a franchise quarterback, winning over the media is actually a key component to winning football games. Winning over the media, being able to handle the media, control your message correctly, is, is a big part of leading a football team and Kyler wants next to nothing to do with it. So obviously Kyler Murray is not a natural born leader. Hence, despite his talent and his football IQ, it is going to be very, very difficult for Kyler to win big, as in win a Super Bowl. So difficult to do when you don't consistently inspire your teammates on and off the field. And when you're a little too small to stay healthy for 17 games, when you're scrambling, you're taking off with the ball the way Kyler does. I, I still love him as a quarterback, but the negatives scare me because they're such crucial negatives. I mean, Tom Brady to me is the greatest leader in sports history. And I should knock on some wood. I'll find some somewhere here. Tom Brady has figured out how to stay healthy, relatively healthy, for 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 games, throwing only from the pocket. So, to my conclusion, which was my beginning, I believe Kyler would have been much better and much happier as the Oakland A's center fielder. Baseball allows far more time and focus for video game playing. And baseball is, is what I call an individual team sport. It's, it's nine guys making plays when called upon, 
but not having to worry about a connected, cohesive whole the way 11-man football is or five-man basketball is. Nobody would ever expect Kyler to be the team leader, the galvanizer, the voice of the clubhouse playing center field. Nobody would care. In baseball, Kyler could have kept to himself and it would be just fine. In baseball, he probably, probably could have stayed much healthier than he's been able to on the football field. But he just signed for five more years. He's a football player and a gifted one. I will continue to root for him. But I must admit, now I don't love the little man's chances of winning big. Now, I understand the homework clause. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get to your question, shall we? Okay, this is either from Devin or Devon. Not sure how you pronounce it. Forgive me. Devin or Devon from Houston asks, how do you know when to stop for a commercial break on Undisputed? That is a, a good question. Not a stupid one. Not a silly one. So Devin or Devon, because we are on for two and a half hours, we do have a little more room to roam, especially in the first two hours of the show. But in the end, we must get in, pretty sure it's nine commercial breaks, because that's how we pay the bills. So we loosely plan on 22, 23 minutes in what we call our A block, our opening salvo. And we block out 25-ish minutes for our B block, which is the only block in the show, as you might have noticed, that has two topics in it. And then what's called our line producer in the control room, which is now our man, Nick, who is in our ears, both in my ear and in Shannon's ear. He, he tries to just sense along the trail when we're winding down, or maybe when we're starting to push the clock too far. And his first cue to us in our ears, 
and tries to avoid speaking when we're speaking because it can mess with your mind and distract you briefly. But the first cue is start to rap. Then a minute or so later, he says, rap. And if we continue to not rap, maybe we get a much stronger rap. And sometimes the guy sitting across from me at the debate desk gets all worked up and he barrels right through that stop sign. And uh, I must admit, I have been known upon occasion, rare occasion, to try to win a debate the way Ali won rounds with a flurry at the end, trying to get in the last word, also running through the stop or rap sign. But in the end, once we hit questions eight and nine in the commercial break, Nick will say in my ear, I usually take a little walk away from the debate desk over to the station where I have my other papers and my drinks laid out. And Nick will say in my ear, hey, we've got 14 minutes left for the last two. Maybe they're on LeBron and back. And he'll ask, how do you want to divvy them up? And I'll think about it a second. I'll say, let's shoot for nine minutes and five minutes. And he'll say, fine, we'll shoot for that. And obviously, at, at the end of number nine question, which is going to the last small segment on the show, which leads into Colin Coward, at the end of nine, we're going to get a real hard rap in our ears because we got to go because we're running out of show. But I must tell you, not in six years have we ever not finished a show right on time. Not once. Not once have we pushed Colin over the cliff as he begins his show. Because that is just not acceptable. Let's try another question, shall we? This one from uh, Jack in Rumson, New Jersey. I know somebody from Rumson, somebody I work very closely with. What could, uh, excuse me, what position could you see LeBron playing on an NFL roster? Okay, when it comes to football, let's be honest about this. I believe LeBron James is more lover than fighter. Even my man, Lushan and Sharp believes that LeBron would struggle with the extreme physicality that is the National Football League. But I still do believe, even more than LaShannon does, that, hey, LeBron could have been at least as good a pass-catching, not a blocking, but a pass-catching tight end as Jimmy Graham was, former basketball player, Miami, Talking about a red zone target, LeBron James at 6'9", 270. In his prime, obviously he's a little past his prime, but LeBron could flat fly. I mean, I don't know what he would time, but I'm talking 6'9", 270. I'll bet he could have run in his prime 4'5"-ish, 4'6", maybe. I mean, Emmett Smith timed 4'6", at his pro day. And we know 
not only can he fly, but he can sky. So, even just a red zone target, try to avoid extreme physicality, I think LeBron would have been lethal. Now, I also believe, going a little outside the box, LeBron James, if he had so chosen, could have been a Hall of Fame left tackle. Now, obviously, it's not a glamour position, but, but we're talking 6'9", great feet. He, he'd have to put on, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds, 30 pounds. But, but no edge rusher could have ever gotten around him. And I, I think at 6'9", loves the weight room. I, I don't think he could have gotten bull rushed by too many edge rushers. I, I just think he'd be a wall unto himself at left tackle and he would have been a Hall of Famer. But obviously, I don't think LeBron would have ever been happy playing left tackle. It's now time for my final thoughts on the sordid story of a quarterback I used to love. That quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Who, I guess you could say, wound up winning, at least wound up being very fortunate, all things considered, while losing his reputation, at least for now. Listen, Deshaun Watson turned me into a huge fan of his during those two national championship games against St. Nick's defense. What, what, what a gamer. What a battler. What, what a clutch playmaker. What football character did this kid display? And all I ever heard about him off the field was great young man, Christian, strong values. That's all I ever heard. Not a discouraging word about Deshaun Watson. Did I ever hear from anybody? And last time I saw Deshaun on an NFL field, I ranked him as a top three quarterback in pro football. So if you had given me a list of a hundred NFL players and you would ask me which one of these guys would turn out to be a sexual predator who had sought massages from at least 66 female massage therapists, 66 over a year and a half time, only a year and a half, with sex being the, the goal of every one of those massages, Deshaun Watson would have been dead last on my list of 100. Dead last, my last choice. Silly me. The first thing that struck me about Deshaun's serial behavior with the massage therapist 
was just how shockingly reckless and dangerous it was. I mean, we're talking about the face of the Houston Texans franchise. And I, look, I, I know my own little world of fame or infamy or whatever it is. I realized that as I got recognized more and more at airports, at restaurants, wherever I was, that there are just certain things I just couldn't risk doing anymore. Little things. I know when I was at ESPN, we used to have seminars led by the president of the company, John Skipper at that time, seminars about you can't, you can't, you can't do that. All of you people on air, you can't, you can't, you can't. Just little things, obvious things. I tell Ernestine, when we go out in public, if we've squabbled and it continues to spill out the door and we do argue that, that we can't take it with us. We can't go walking Hazel at the mall on Saturday while engaged in a spat. We, we just can't do it. Somebody will videotape it, cell tape it, post it. It's, it's just a bad look. I, I know when I walk out of the house I cannot be in a bad mood because people are going to ask me for pictures and they're going to want to talk about the Cowboys or LeBron or Brady or somebody or something. I cannot ever be in a bad mood and I am not when I leave the confines of home. And now we're talking about a Deshaun Watson who continually engaged in high-risk potential, he said, she said, potential career-wrecking, ruining situations with at least 66 different massage therapists. That, that is mind-blowing to me. Another conversation I had with my guy, Lil Wayne, I asked, well, if Deshaun just wanted sex, why didn't he just go to genuine prostitutes? I'm, I'm talking about higher class, higher priced, sort of veteran call girls, if you will, with credentials that you could trust. He could afford it if that's what you wanted. And, and Wayne said, no, it's not what kids today do. It's all about the gram. It's all about IG. They live on IG. It's all about the DMs. It's just cooler to DM, connect that way. But I'm pretty sure that some, if not a lot, or even most of these massage therapists were genuinely therapeutic massage therapists. And I know for sure that 24 of them filed suit, civil suits against Deshaun, alleging sexual misconduct or sexual assault. And their testimonies were shockingly graphic. Question always gets asked, did they conspire with each other to fabricate their testimony, to 
compare and contrive lies. I guess it's possible. It's also pretty doubtful. So yes, there were two grand juries that chose not to indict Deshaun, even though there was a Houston police detective who testified under oath that she believed that Deshaun had committed multiple crimes. And yet, as I've read many times, it's very difficult to get a grand jury to indict when it comes to that slipperiest of slopes, sexual assault. Remember too that Deshaun hired maybe the most prominent and the most successful defender of celebrity clients. That was Houston attorney, Rusty Harden. And yet what continued to just astound me that through it all, when Deshaun was deposed, he continued to deny any of this behavior, any of it, to the point that he often asked his interrogators, can you explain why I'm here? I don't even know why I'm here, why I'm having to answer these questions. What? It, it sounded to me more and more like Deshaun just flat out had a problem, a deeper seated problem that very well will require some sort of counseling to curtail and ultimately defeat. It sounds to me like it could be a form of addiction And just because Sue L. Robinson ruled that from here on, every one of Deshaun's massages have to be team sanctioned by the Cleveland Browns, that certainly doesn't mean that he'll be capable of complying. This reminded me of what I always say about any form of human behavior, especially sexual behavior, you, you just never know what's really going on in someone's private life. And obviously, even though Deshaun got so shockingly reckless, his private life became extremely public. But the truth is you just never know. So if I take this to the nth degree, to the worst possible scenario, it reminds me of interviews that you often see when the police finally nab a serial killer and all the neighbors say, oh, he, he seemed like such a nice man. Well, he was good at acting like a nice man or maybe even had a nice side to him or maybe even he had convinced himself that what he was doing was not wrong. See Deshaun. Here allow me to tell you about one big argument I got into with a longtime NFL source of mine, man I've known forever, 
former NFL GM who did play in the league, very old school, set in his ways. He first texted me that I should give Deshaun a break. He's a young man who just wanted a massage and he was paying for it. And I said, uh, according to 24 women who filed suit, this was unwanted sexual contact. And he's like, oh, come on, give me a break. This is no big deal. And I was outraged and we went back and forth and back and forth. And I mentioned this argument only to demonstrate that's the kind of that macho male chauvinist mentality that has dominated the NFL for decades. And that mindset is why the NFL has struggled so mightily and failed so spectacularly when it comes to addressing and punishing instances of sexual misconduct. And now think about how fortunate Deshaun actually has been. Did, did 24 civil suits and reports of 66 at least different massage therapists over a year and a half wreck his career? It was teetering for a while, but remember, he and his team rejected the Cleveland Browns the first go-round. They just flat out said no because they preferred, obviously, to negotiate with the team from Deshaun's home area, that being Atlanta, or New Orleans, where the weather would be much better. And maybe he thought the organization was much better. But I was told by a very reliable source that Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner was getting cold feet and that Gail Benson, the New Orleans Saints owner, was getting even colder feet about the backlashes that their franchises would suffer if they dared to take a shot at signing Deshaun. So I believe that in sheer desperation, Deshaun's reps reached back out to the Cleveland Browns who, who did not back off. No, the Browns were so desperate, are so desperate, that they plunged, they went all in, plunged with all of Jimmy Haslam's might, and they were, I believe, bidding against themselves. They offered by far the richest contract in NFL history, 230 guaranteed million dollars to a quarterback on the hottest of hot seats, knowing full well that Deshaun Well could be suspended for the entire 2022 season, and knowing that the NFL's investigation ongoing at that point might reveal even more sexual, serial misconduct than they already knew. Remember, once somebody in the organization said of Baker Mayfield, we need an adult at quarterback. I asked, you sure they have one now? 
So it was that Deshaun Watson became the first test case for this new NFL punishment system by which an independent arbiter agreed upon by the NFL and the NFLPA, the Players Association, will decide suspensions and or fines. This time, a retired judge, Sue L. Robinson, presided and she handled the proceeding just the way she presided over hundreds of court cases. NFL presented its side, its case, NFLPA, with Deshaun actually testifying, presented its case, and she ruled. And she concluded, boom, boom, boom. She concluded, as she said in my findings that I read from her report, the NFL alleges that Deshaun Watson violated three provisions of the, the conduct code, the personal conduct policy, by engaging in, number one, sexual assault. And she said, well, it's very hazy because you don't define exactly what sexual assault is. But she concluded, yes, he did. Then number two, the NFL says that Deshaun's conduct posed a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person, and Sue L. Robinson concluded, yes, correct. And number three, the NFL said that Deshaun's conduct undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. And Sue L. Robinson concluded, boom, 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 yes, 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 correct. Well, the NFL asked for a whole year's worth of suspension. And Sue L. Robinson gave him a grand total of six games with no fine, zero fine. So Deshaun, you want to talk about getting off lightly because they knew this some sort of punishment was coming. They backloaded the $230 million contract. He took only $1 million in this year, the first year, which means that the six games will cost him like three hundred fifty grand. What? Three hundred fifty grand out of two hundred and thirty guaranteed million? Aha! But Suell, bless bless her heart and soul. She said, "Look, I'm not going to rewrite your rules for you." I'm not going to rewrite your bylaws for you because by the letter of the law that you handed me, I can't blindside him with a, a year-long suspension because your bylaws don't, don't allow for it. Your precedents here don't allow for it. And she said, don't put the responsibility on me to change your rules and your bylaws. Don't put the onus on me. That's up to you. I'm going to put the ball right back in your court because from what you've handed me, the most I can give him is six games. So the NFL carefully and successfully made his its case to Sue L. Robinson that he deserved the full year at the very minimum. And she says, 
your bylaws don't allow that. And she took the league to task for not being forward-looking. Her line was, the NFL may be quote-unquote forward-facing as an organization, but it is not necessarily a forward-looking one. Well, it's just not. And so in the end, Deshaun, And, and the Cleveland Browns had to be quietly celebrating when this ruling came down on Thursday morning. How lucky is Deshaun Watson? Obviously, he's now got plenty of money to settle all the suits. I think 23 of 24 have been settled, reportedly. And he can pay off all those legal fees, legal bills, which probably seem like billions at this point. I did go on Undisputed the other day and said that he, he won while losing his reputation, but the truest truism in all of sports to me is that winning conquers all. Winning, as my old friend Ron Meyer, coached at SMU and coached the Patriots, used to say, it cures cancer, quote unquote. Winning certainly causes amnesia among fans who are very quick to forgive and forget when you win. See Ben Roethlisberger. See Kobe Bryant. See Tiger Woods. So the point is, if, if Deshaun does somehow lead the Cleveland Browns to their first ever Super Bowl championship, I'm pretty sure that many, if not most fans, heck, maybe all fans will slowly but surely forget, maybe not forgive, but certainly forget. So in the end, as much as I still believe in Deshaun, just in his ability to play quarterback, I'm just no longer 100% certain about his ability to be the face of a franchise, to, to be the trusted leader of a football team. I now question intangibles I never would have questioned before. And I'm just going on my gut feeling here. My history tells me that when you least expect it, Deshaun won't quite be there for the Cleveland Browns. When you most need him, Browns fans, to be Deshaun Watson, to be a top three quarterback, something will be missing. Something will fail. And something will make me sit back and shake my head and say, I warned you. Back to your questions. This is Remy from Philadelphia. How hard is it to pick against the Cowboys on Undisputed? Remy, seriously, not hard at all. In fact, I look forward to picking against my Dallas Cowboys. 
I, I pick against them only when I truly believe they're going to lose, such as on opening Sunday night against the GOAT, albeit at Jerry World this time. But when I pick against them and they win, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm a happy camper. I can go on Undisputed and say, I'm gladly wrong. They won. What rips my guts out is to lay my reputation on the line by saying there is no way my Dallas Cowboys are going to lose this game. And then they rip my heart out by stinking it up and choking their guts out, usually on the biggest stage in the sport and making me look like a fool the next day on Undisputed and forcing me to take two and a half hours of verbal abuse from the president of the Cowboy Haters Club, my man Shannon Sharp. Another question. This is Mikey from Monterey, as in California. Hmm. What would be the title of your autobiography if you ever write one. Mikey, I will write one. I give you bits and pieces of it in every Skip Bayless show. So let's see, title-wise, how about, how about Strive for Greatness? No, I, I think I've heard that somewhere before, so that would be plagiarism. Okay, how about not to be skipped? Hmm. I think I've heard that somewhere before also in the last few minutes, maybe. So I will go with my favorite word for what I do on TV. I will call my autobiography Unleashed with the subtitle of how I never lost a debate on national TV. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, before I launch into this, allow me to qualify or disqualify myself on this topic. When it comes to playing golf or watching golf, I am not the norm. I am not normal. I am addicted to playing golf and watching golf because golf is so cursed hard to play. It's the hardest game in the world to consistently play well and by far the hardest game in the world to play under pressure. By far, not even close. If you haven't tried it, you just don't get it. And by the way, I disqualify because we don't talk much about golf, maybe just some Tiger golf on Undisputed. 
it's a niche sport, so to speak. It's to, to many of our viewers, I'm sure it's, it's a really boring, slow moving game played by really boring, mostly white guys. I get that. I respect that, which is why I'm using this show, my platform to get this off my chest. So just suffer me this. Just understand the, the reason I'm so addicted, so fascinated, so compelled by golf is that that little tiny white ball will not move until you move. Nobody's going to hit it to you. See, obviously, baseball or, or throw it to you, see baseball and football, or pass it to you, see basketball, hockey, whatever you want to go into. There, there are no defenders in golf except for those little demons lurking in your subconscious. So, so you can't react to anything in golf. That blasted little ball just, it just sits there grinning at you on its tee or on the ground until you hit it or chip it or you putt it. So you, you never get to react engulfed anything you have to initiate everything and trust me that hole starts looking even smaller than the tiny little golf ball is and so it's a game in which you can just go crazy hot like mystically hot see caddyshack or a game in which you suddenly snap out of it and say wait where'd my swing go i can't find it i can't get it back i'm lost i'm a disaster Happens to me all the time. I, I don't know why. I can't. Listen, I've got more band-aids on my golf swing than Nelly has won in, uh, excuse me, has worn in his life. Than Nelly has worn in his life. So now let me just get this off my chest. I, I watch golf like crazy because I know golf. I've covered golf for years and years. I, I went to 25 straight masters as a reporter and God knows how many U.S. Opens and PGAs. And I even covered a couple of British Opens. Ben Hogan once sent me a note just because he loved something I'd written about him, which is a shock. It's my prized possession. But hitting a golf shot, a pure golf shot to me is is the greatest feeling I've ever known in any sport I've ever attempted to play. And I watch golf because the pros will hit a number of pure shots in a round that, that I can't even fathom. And I love to see them either rise or fall under pressure because most of them fall. And yet what I love about the PGA Tour is you have to earn your way into every tournament and then you have to pay your way to the tournament pay all your expenses. And if you play lousy golf, you get nothing. If you don't make the cut, you, you get nothing. That's what always attracted me to golf from the start. It is a gentleman's game. You, you call penalties on yourself and they do. They, they call penalties on themselves. It's just so hard. It's just, there, there's so many minor league tours, everybody trying to get to the PGA Tour. It's so great hard, which brings me to what is now threatening my PGA Tour, 
live, as in live golf. Live is the Roman numeral 54. Live events are 54 hole events instead of the PGA Tours four days, 72 holes. 54 is also the perfect golf score if you birdied all 18 holes on a par 72 course. Live, 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 of course, is the new tour financed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. But I want to be clear about this. What I'm about to unleash about has nothing to do with politics, at least on my part. It might have everything to do with politics on everybody else's, but I, I, I get it all. I, I know. I know all about 9-11. I know about Saudi Arabia's despicable record when it comes to human rights. I know about the murder of the journalist. I know that Donald Trump is now closely aligned with Live, two of the eight tournaments they're going to play this year on Trump courses, and he turned this last Live event to a presidential campaign. I, I get all that. I also know that we still buy a whole lot of our oil from Saudi Arabia. I know that Saudi Arabia still does a lot of business in the States with people here. So it's talk about slippery slope, but this is not about any of that. This is just me strict, strictly speaking as a golf nut. Liv is, is, is killing the PGA Tour, maybe not killing it, but, but certainly hurting it. The, the point is, live does me no good as a golf fan. Zero good. Live is beginning to lure more and more. The good to great players from the PGA Tour. It's Dustin Johnson, it's Brooks Kapka, it's Bryson DeChambeau, it's Patrick Reed. I can go on and on. Of course, there was from the start Phil Mickelson, Bubba Watson now. Signed a lot of the Euro stars, Sergio, Graham McDowell, Ustazen, Lee Westwood, Paul Casey, Charles Schwartzel, who did win a Masters. I could just go on and on, and it's not done yet. There will be more defections, according to Greg Norman, who runs Live. Live offered Tiger Woods somewhere between 700 and 800 million guaranteed dollars to join Live. And thank you, Tiger, for at least saving a shred of PGA Tour dignity by turning that down. I've, I've always been pro player in all the sports that we talk about on Undisputed. I want every player to get all they can get within the confines and context of their sport. But these players are taking billions of guaranteed dollars, taking the money and running to a tour that, that holds these three-day events, not very often, so they love that. It's way more for way less work. And for me, that's destroying the very concept that I love the most about the PGA Tour. You have to earn it. And I, I, I cannot and will not condemn them for taking the guaranteed money and to play fewer events. 
And I, I get it. The Saudis want positive PR. I, I get all that. I, I can't condemn any of that part of it. But how does that benefit me, the hardcore, lifelong golf fan who's just captivated by the sacred respect with which these players have always treated the game of golf and the PGA Tour? I, I love the competition angle because, yeah, the PGA Tours it's going to have to improve its purses and its schedule. I, I get that. But I, I, I just can't watch live. I don't need live in my life. I'm living pretty well already when it comes to golf. Live calls it golf, but louder. Encouraging fans to be louder, more loud music playing, concerts after each round. I don't need golf at the county fair. I just don't need it. It's not for me. I don't need Liv's team golf. They divide the players into teams. I don't need teams except for the Ryder Cup, President's Cup, when one of the two teams is Team USA. I don't need Liv's shotgun starts. If you don't know golf, all the players go to various holes and foursomes. Then they shoot a shotgun and everybody starts on a different hole at the very same time. It's just hard to follow. I want to see the leaders certainly, at least by Saturday and Sunday, play number one through number eight, 18 right in a row. I, I, you can ask Ernestine. I watched Sunday the Rocket Mortgage Tournament from Detroit. I watched it from start to finish. I watched Tony Finau from his opening tee shot to his closing putt. And by the way, I thought over four days at the Rocket Mortgage, and especially on Sunday, Tony Finau came about as close as you can to perfecting golf. It was a stunning display. Now, it wasn't obviously a major championship, but at least he was pursued by Patrick Cantlay. Cameron Young, who I'm pretty sure will be the Rookie of the Year this year. But might DJ have been there or DeChambeau or Kevin Na been there? Yep, they, they might. Would that add a little spice to it? Sure. Where's the win for me and Liv? There, there's no win. It only dilutes a product that I used to love. At least at the moment, it seems like the Liv defectors will play in the majors, but I'm not even sure how that's going to play out from here on. And now I'm reading that maybe the PGA Tour players will elect at some point to, to say, hey, if they're playing in the major, we're not going to play. Would they go that far to protest that way? To boycott? a major championship, it, it seems unlikely to me, but, but we're heading toward a huge collision here that doesn't help me one bit. So when I was a kid, I grew up with a rival pro football league, the AFL to the NFL. Some of the college stars, Joe Namath, went straight to the AFL, then Jets, obviously. But at least the AFL was an American-based rival 
league playing exactly the same football that the NFL was playing, exactly the same way. Maybe it was a little more wide open football, but it was still football. And I watched both of them and I, I came to love both of them. And obviously they were both so successful that they ended up merging and it made the NFL even stronger. Live will never merge with the PGA Tour. Live will just make the PGA Tour weaker and weaker. And I'm sorry, I just don't want to watch Live. It's just not my cup of tea. So I, I congratulate all those Live defectors for their guaranteed money and their much easier schedules. But I am livid about live. Now, let me end with this. Speaking of golf, next week I will be on vacation. And for the first time since the pandemic hit us right between the eyes, I'm going back to my hometown of Oklahoma City to play golf with the guys I grew up with. I'm talking about grew up with from grade school, elementary school, whatever you called it in your city. From grade school on, we were the Mayfair Chipmunks in baseball, Mayfair grade school. I stayed friends with all these guys for lo these many, many, many years. And we are once again going to play the course that we grew up on, which is called Lincoln Park, 36 holes, east and west. Lincoln East, Lincoln West, love them both. We started doing this, this annual week of playing golf together at Lincoln, the summer after I went away to college, went away to Vanderbilt. I was the only one who went away to school and we continued to do that every single summer until COVID hit, every single summer. So now we pick back up. And the reason that this ritual means so much to me, the reason I'm looking forward to it, though dreading it a little bit, because I hope it's all the same. I hope nothing changed. But the reason I need this is I, I need to return to my roots to remind myself of where I came from. My other ritual is I will drive by that little two bedroom, one bathroom house that I lived in for the early part of my life. And I need to be able to look myself in the at least the hotel room mirror and say, I'm still that same guy. Too many times in this business I've been in low this, these many years, this media business, I see people I work with, close friends of mine, turn into something and somebody they never were. That they, they go what I call through the looking, excuse me, through the looking glass, through the mirror, and they never come back. They, they become their TV image. 
and frankly, I don't even know them anymore. So with a little help from my childhood friends, and we rarely talk about work, we talk about family, talk about wives, girlfriends, whatever, but they don't ask me much about Undisputed, FS1, this show. We, we'll talk very little about that, but with, with a little help from my childhood friends and from probably getting my butt beaten for five straight days on either Lincoln East or West, I hope to be sufficiently humbled again. That's what Oklahoma City does for me. I'm able to put my feet back on the ground, the ground I grew up on, and say, I'm still me. That's it for episode 29. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, the Skip Bayless Show, every week, unless I'm on vacation.